Today's episode is brought to you by Slate House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hey, you know what I saw driving into town? What'd you see driving a into dead town? deer, a deer on the side of the road. Oh dear! And uh, it was really sad because it was totally dead, and uh, and dead things usually make me kind of sad. Uh, I bring it up because as I was coming in, you know, I was thinking that deer reminds me of a book that I just recently read, that was really that didn't good. Didn't have a deer in it. It didn't. No, it was elk. It was elk. But in my in my like white never been hunting kind of brain i i made the connection it's there okay they're both hooved animals that have some have horns and others don't i guess i think elk are a little bigger than deer i think they are pretty big um what made you think of of elk and deer trevor well i wink, recently wink, read nudge nudge the only good indians by stephen graham jones Yes, that is such an awesome book, and I'm so glad we are going to talk about that today. Dude, did I tell you? I did tell you, but I'm going to tell you again for the sake of our audience. Like, I reached out, like, Stephen Graham Jones was on um, Twitter, and he retweeted his new book, My Heart is a Chainsaw. And so, from our Slayhouse Publishing account, I responded and said, Hey, I'm really excited to read this, but tomorrow we're going in and recording our, our, episode on your book the only good indians and he responded to me he liked it and thanked and i was like yay oh good oh he likes me he really likes me i i had the same reaction i mean i wrote a a review of his book on goodreads and he liked my review and that immediately just i was like this dude's cool yeah yeah he is he is so cool and he is so prolific. Like you said, you were talking about how prolific he is just on social media. Yeah. But he's a prolific writer. Like he really is. I I did not know because I had not been exposed to a lot of his work before. And then after picking up The Only Good Indians, I was so impressed. I was like, what else has this guy written? And you go to that guy's website, it's it's tons of he's written tons of stuff. Yeah, I feel like, like almost with our conversation with Joe Hill that time, I mean, everyone knows the name Stephen King, but like you realize just how influential and prolific Joe Hill is and what he's doing. Stephen Graham Jones is doing the exact same thing. Yeah. He is so pro, and the stuff that he's turning out is really, really good. Like, yeah. I really can't wait to jump into some more of his books. Yeah, it is very high quality fiction, high quality. And what he's doing here, what all these authors really that we're talking about are doing here are really blending this idea of genre and mm-hmm. high literature. Yeah. And I think Stephen Graham Jones is one of the best uh, today doing this very thing. Yeah, I mean, just look at his accolades. He, he won the uh, National Endowment for the Arts Literature Fellowship. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which is colossal, uh, just stunning. Um, he won the Texas Institute of Letters Jesse H. Jones Award for Best Work of Fiction. Yep. Uh, Independent Publisher Book Award for Multicultural Fiction. He won the This Is Horror Award, which is a bit more... I I don't know that that one has as much prestige, but it's definitely... Well, it just goes to show that he's winning not just in genre, but he's winning in literature. So he's winning 
awards in both areas and marrying exactly. them together. Yeah, he's a, 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 a mm. real fan favorite, I think, is I what mean, the This Is Horror Award tells me. This book won the Bram Stoker Award and the Ray Bradbury Prize for Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Speculative Fiction. Yeah. I mean... And even his new stuff uh, that, that just came out this year is already getting buzz like it, it may end up winning some awards this year. And probably one of the best things that I think about this is that he teaches at the college level. And I think this is beautiful because if you've ever taken a creative writing class at the university level, most of your instructors are going to tell you to shy away from genre work. They frown on it. But the fact that he teaches this and teaches at the university level, now he might still shy away from it because let's be honest, writing genre work and writing it well can be very, very, very difficult. Yeah, I think that one of the the confusions for a lot of authors that are starting into genre and a lot of, uh, really, unfortunately, a lot of the critics that don't read a whole lot of genre believe that the genre is, like, you write genre just with a gimmick, right? Right. Genre is just the gimmick. And I I think that that's a, a mistake, Right. And and a mistake that we make at the collegiate level, especially genre is not a gimmick. And if you're just writing genre as a gimmick, you're you're not you're not really writing good work. You're not writing good story. Right. Exactly. And I feel like that at least I hope I've never taken Stephen Graham Jones class, although if he offered, I would definitely go and take it. Um, But I feel like with that understanding, with the awards that he's won, he can guide his students to balancing that and not treating genre as just a gimmick, but treating it like the, um, the, the, with the respect that it deserves. Um, so I guess really quickly here, we should probably talk about who Stephen Graham Jones is and then maybe discuss the story um, and then kind of go from there. So let's sure. see. He is a Native American of the Blackfeet tribe. He was born in 1972, according to the, the, our sources, in Midland, Texas. He has done well blending uh, genres and showing specta- uh, uh, speculative genre as respectable literature. Um, he's published 27 novels. He's published a work under a pseudonym. He's published short stories. He is the editor we believe, we think, right? Like for all those horror anthologies and the best new horror. We should maybe fact check that. We should. But what the hell? Let's just, for the purposes of the podcast, just give him credit for it anyway. I'm pretty sure he's I mean, the editor. I'm pretty of, sure he is too. Of best I new mean, horror. how common can S. Jones be? I. I Crickets. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's really popular. I'm, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, uh, he's been editing that. Um, he was raised in West Texas. He now lives with his wife and kids in Boulder. Uh, and a lot of this we did get from his agent's website. And so like everything else, we are going to put our sources up on the website so that you guys can check it all out yourself. And if we're wrong, you can chastise us either through email or through our social media uh, platforms. Just comment and say, boy, you guys are a couple of oh, dumbasses. No, I just fact checked. It's not. Stephen Jones is a different dude. Stephen Jones is okay. Stephen Jones is a he's a a UK editor writing. Stephen Graham Jones is a different guy. 
Oh well, okay. Guys, I'm pretty sure we we, we uh, all right. Well, we've made this mistake. We made We're some assumptions. Own Let's own this mistake. You we know are what? owning it. In We're my sorry. head, Stephen Graham Jones is still the best editor of horror fiction ever. He absolutely is. You were number one, buddy. We we really really enjoy your work. Love this guy. Um, so one of the things that I I kind of looked at here was just the number of accolades he received from different authors, and these were from different text or from different books um he but i i don't know i don't want to i don't want to necessarily i think they they speak to his his own just kind of gravitas kind of his his own like yeah i mean you look at some of the other authors that have have <clears throat> reviewed him uh you know there's carrie vaughn in there um paul tremblay josh mailerman yeah richard cadry of the Sandman Slim series. Yeah, I mean, these are these are some pretty influential writers in their own right. Um, very popular writers, for sure. And a lot of, of critics, I, I like, absolutely love him as well. I, I actually uh, came to this book that we're talking about today, The Only Good Indians, through an interview he did with NPR. And uh, NPR just will not shut up about his books. And I think rightfully so, because it's really good literature. I mean, think about this for a second, folks. NPR, also the National Endowment for the Arts, these are huge, huge names that usually focus on very, very serious literature. Mm -hmm. And they're giving awards and giving airtime to what some would say incorrectly if they just described him as this, as just a genre author and just a speculative author. But he's actually, he's doing what we at Slayhouse really want to see done, which is that blend of genre and literature. And he's, he's really, really important to the discussion of both nowadays, which is why, I'm again, I'm just really excited to be talking about this. So, Trevor, do you want to tell us a little bit about what The Only Good Indians is about? Yeah, so the story is uh, essentially about uh, some four guys mm -hmm. who childhood friends, childhood friends who went out on a hunting trip um, and killed an entire what? What do you call it? Like a, a herd of like elk. a herd of elk. Yep. Yeah. Is is that the the group name for elk? Is a herd? I think so. We'll, we'll think go for, we'll yeah. go with it. Uh, an entire herd of elk. Fact and, check several episodes later so that we can be completely wrong and have to apologize again. Yeah, yeah. if you hear a voiceover, it's because we're completely wrong. Um, they're we're, not just four guys though. We need to make that distinction. And yeah, they're they're four members of the same tribe. Right, four members of the same tribe, and they did right. this when they were younger. So when we catch up to them, it's been years. It's been years and years. So years and years later, they are haunted by the vengeful spirit. Of the elk they killed. Yep. That's uh, I don't I don't want to go any any deeper than that necessarily, because I I think that this is unlike many of the other stories that we've we've read or we've talked about on this podcast. This one's like two years old. Yeah. So yeah. I, I no spoiler alerts here, folks. If it's on your TBR, spoiler alerts. Yeah. Alerts. If it's on your TBR. Uh, like move it up in the queue. You you really need to get to this one sooner rather than later. Yep. Um, so what themes did you kind of notice going through this? And I know this is going to be a touchy subject yeah. because here's the thing, people. We're if you can't tell by our voices and by our like our our videos and stuff, we're we're just a we're a couple of white guys. Yeah. We're, this one's difficult to to dig into because uh, you know as a as a white male, um, I'm not. 
very well versed in a lot of the cultural motifs of Native American literature or Native American culture. So, you know, I, I do want to be respectful in, in that regard and not try to presume something that may not have necessarily been intended. At the same time, I do want to kind of explore some of my feelings or some of my thoughts when reading this book because Jones makes some really interesting some really interesting choices in the the storytelling here that I think deserve to be di- digged in or dug into. Yeah, and and by the way, I mean if 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 we ever get so lucky that Stephen Graham Jones is actually listening to our podcast, if you ever wanted to come on and like interview with us and talk to us about the themes and things you were exploring with us, we would love to hear it from your perspective. Um, Absolutely. Just throwing that out there. Um, but some of the, I mean, obviously, whenever you have a, a story like this, uh, it's it's about revenge. Well, let's not discount the, the themes of, of revenge in this story. Um, but also kind of a, a generational guilt, I think, shows up in here. Um, certainly like a personal guilt or a personal culpability as these these four men reflect on their actions from their youth. There's um, there's uh, definitely some some kind of like generational hope, um, or or even like a feeling of a cycle of violence, perhaps a cycle of generational violence. I think. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that in this, you know, we have in in this discussion in society today about addressing the wrongs that have been perpetuated throughout history. And let's face it, white people, we've not been the greatest in history. We've been absolute horrors ourselves. Um, and we're seeing that play out, you know, with like some of like the, like the sports teams of the different, you know, like the, the Washington Redskins are now called the Washington football team. We're seeing this, you know, kind of this Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians just changed to the Cleveland guardians. Yeah. Right? The Cleveland. Yeah. So we're, we're seeing all of this. So, um, but what, so what we're, we're used to addressing, or I think the lens that we're looking through as readers or as necessarily maybe even, you know, sympathetic white, um, kind of males who, mm-hmm. who are open to this discussion and, and curious about the other side and the other perspectives, um, is that the, the victimization of this indigenous people, but we're not getting these four friends as victims. Yeah, they're the aggressors. It's really interesting that he he flips this uh, like relationship, right? They, yeah, they they're being hunted down because of of the the quote unquote sins of their past. Um, the even the title I think is really provocative because there's the you know the the complete saying of this title would be the only good Indian is a dead Indian. Yeah. And so Stephen Graham Jones is riffing on that idea with this story. Which I'll admit, before I picked up the book and not realizing fully who the author was, it gave me pause. Like, do I really want to read oh, this? Oh, no. I, I very much was, was kind of the same way. I, I didn't know where the story was going. And I'm glad I picked it up. I'm, I'm glad I, I you know, overheard that that interview on NPR because it, it really kind of turned me on to wanting to read this story and, and wanting to explore it. Um, yeah, 
he he stylistically i'm gonna i'm gonna jump into your conversation about craft just a little bit sure go right ahead because he makes a choice in this story uh especially when he's he's brought back this vengeful elk spirit um and it's chasing these characters down he slips into the perspective of the elk woman Mm -hmm. just a little bit by using the second person Mm -hmm. and as a second person narration i think is really difficult to manage because it can either be um something very evocative It, it can it can pull you in it can immerse you further into the story by by directly involving you as the reader putting you in the place of a character or very dangerously, it could push you out of the narrative so much that that you almost lose that sense of immersion. And luckily, this one does the former and not the latter. I really think it, it's interesting that it, it puts us in the place of this venge, vengeful spirit. You know, I've only run into a number, like a small a vengeful number. Vengeful spirits? How many vengeful spirits have you run into? Uh, I mean, there's the poltergeist that lives in my shower. Yeah. And the and the the vampire. I don't know if he's vengeful though. I I, like really. I just think he's mad about my water bill. That's all. Yeah, I can see that. I just waste a lot of water. I'm very. I'm the worst conservationist, really. No, but I've only run into a number of stories that have been told with a second person narration. Yeah, Um, Jennifer Egan's Black Box is one that I think. See, I'm not. I'm not read that one. I read. what is it? I think it's Aura by Carlos Fuentes, um, which is a it's like a ghost story, but but it's told in the second person. the The second person, like the the protagonist of that story, is uh, like a, a, a Frenchman. He, he he's a he's right, Mexican. Now do, a, now do a French dialect. He is a Frenchman. Uh, God, I just pissed off a whole bunch of French people. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I mean, our Canadian listeners listeners are just going to be okay with it. They'll be like, hey, no problem. It was our fault. Was hey, our that fault. was pretty bad, eh? It was eh? pretty bad, eh? That was, um. that was, that was even worse. <laughs> um. No, uh, but... but uh, <laughs> Aura is an interesting story in its we own right. We want zero listeners. Zero <laughs> listeners for this podcast. Every, every listener we have. <laughs> like somebody's gonna come in and be like, "I'll check these guys out." Listen for five the minutes. Analytics, oh, nope. The Click. analytics. The analytics. <laughs> I mean, granted, we've only had a couple of episodes, but the analytics are like you've got nine people. <laughs> now we've only got seven. Actually, I just got an alert from like a couple of our our podcast streamers, and they're like, "How can you have a negative stream? Like, how can, it, <laughs> you owe how can us you be streamers. a negative number? You owe us streamers. <laughs> you need to listen to like five." Ten more podcasts just to <laughs> to offset the karmic <laughs> balance. <laughs> uh, no, but but I think the 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 other, I mean, other than like the choose your own adventure stuff, with, you know, which is kind of love those as a kid. Uh, they were great when you're a kid. They're great. Um, but uh, uh, N.K. Jemison also has uh, a second person in. What, it's like I think it's the Broken Earth trilogy or something like that. Okay. Um, the the fifth season I think is the story there. Um, but it, it's always I think it's a gamble, right? Like when you put 
your reader in the position to be directly addressed as a character in the story, it, it's a risky maneuver. And in mm-hmm. this case, he puts us in the position of this vengeful elk spirit, which I think involves us as readers in this cycle of violence. And what's weird to me is that, you know, when I when I found out that this is a story about an, a vengeful elk spirit, of course, I immediately jumped on the bandwagon of like, I'm ready to see this elk woman freaking kill some guys. And it does not disappoint. It does not. I mean, it it definitely does not disappoint. But at the same time, I think it's it's very interesting that he now makes us the elk woman for a part of this story, mm-hmm. you, you know, and, and kind of directly realizes like our our thirst for blood as readers. Yeah. And I find that to be a fascinating concept. I don't know what to do with that concept. I don't know what to do with the the culpability of being like yes uh, like murder violence death I it's it's interesting to me that he I don't know if we have puts a voice in that, in that discussion. I mean it is interesting he puts us in that discussion but yeah. I don't think we necessarily had that voice. It's almost like we can just sit back and be like here it is. Like how do you process this? Like how do you Yeah. you know Yeah, I it's <clears throat> It's a weird choice, but it is a very interesting choice. And I, I think evoking the reader, or at least kind of recognizing the reader in in the process of story making. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. And, and it also, he does something else with the narration that I want to bring up really quickly, which is, and I want to talk to um, the creative writers or the budding creative writers out there. And that is this struggle of metaphor. And how do you create a metaphor that isn't just cliche? How do you find something that isn't just um, just been used a billion times over, right? Writing metaphor can be very, very difficult. But I think the lesson you need to learn here from Stephen Graham Jones is that you find the metaphors. And actually, I discovered this really well in some Southern Gothic fiction as well, too. You find the metaphor that works for the scene and setting that you are trying to write. Stephen Graham Jones, being Native American, uses metaphors that are true to his culture and his heritage. That makes the metaphor feel fresh mm-hmm. and rich. And he does this, say, with the word paint. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses paint to mean a type of horse, but he also uses paint to talk about the basketball three-point line, right? Um, and so he, he uses these, he plays with this word, and both are significant to the culture and the characters he's writing about. Um, also. With that regard to to craft, um, I feel like the speaking about that objective correlative that I've been talking about, you know, every episode, um, the elk-shaped demon um, reflects not only I feel like this internal guilt of these men, but it also reflects and is a reflection of the culture which he's highlighting. Um, it's a Native American monster. It's a uniquely from the Native American myth which makes it a very powerful creature in and of itself, just as powerful as, like, the vampire or the witch or the werewolf well, or the ghost. Well, interesting. I, I, again, and as interesting, a, yeah. We don't a, see many As a white creatures. reader, you know, I, I'm just thrown out there. As a white reader, I'm kind of super tired of the same European monsters that were shown, uh, like, time and time and time again, it, drawing into different traditions, different cultural traditions, and and presenting that, representing that. 
in a major work of of literature, I think is is fascinating. I think it's really really cool. And as literary as this book is, he doesn't shy away from like the gore. Holy the cow! Violence there's is there. so much violence. Oh man, and it's it's almost beautiful. It's like it's his it's, prose is is phenomenal. It's really really good. I, I, I mean, really it, solid. It, it was, I sometimes I I struggled quite to to connect with some of the language that that he was writing, but I I don't think it's because his his language is is wrong or or his his language is misfiring. I I think it's that my cultural point of reference is misfiring. So uh, you know my connection to the language, uh, you know that that disconnect I think is more a problem with my education than it was his prose. I think his prose is excellent. But I don't yeah. But but let's clarify here. I don't think that this was like made the the prose slogging or anything I think no if, no 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 if I anything don't. the action jumps off the page i mean yeah. you're flipping through this just going you know at a sprinter's pace going through this book um getting visceral kind of carnage getting this yeah. this real kind of impactful kind of lesson here yeah. so, stomach wrenching stomach wrenching and but at the same time and maybe there's just the horror author in me but just beautiful oh I mean, no absolutely it's, it's gorgeous beautiful. i i was stunned by it so that is our really quick episode on Stephen Graham Jones, The Only Good Indian. Um, I just want to remind everybody that we do have a title out now, A Mindful of Scorpions by J.R. Billingsley. We also have a short story anthology that by the time you hear this, we ought to be closed for submissions. Hopefully we've gotten a lot of good submissions in. Um, so we'll have the short story anthology coming out soon. We have tons of social media content. We have social media we have Twitter accounts, Reddit, Instagram, um, TikTok, all for Slayhouse Publishing. And we are also uh, starting up uh, the Slayhouse Presents Lit Bits uh, versions of these same social media platforms. So be on the lookout for those. Follow and like them. Uh, go to our Patreon. Go to our Buy Me a Coffee. Send us some money because we're broke. And we're, so broke. We need the money. Like... As some of you who are avid followers of this podcast might know, I have my haircut on layaway. And so I would like to get the left side done this week. That's the left side so that I don't look like a flock of seagulls member. I'm like, that's an 80s reference for all you youngins out there. Um, so, um, yeah, we've got, we're all over the place on Slay House and we are just growing leaps and bounds. And we want to, Thank our again our Wayne Howard Studio uh, guys uh, our partners producers. for our producers for um, for their insight into Midland Texas and Odessa and again we'll apologize for for thinking that um, Stephen Jones and Stephen Graham Jones were the same we will own our mistakes always don't really rake us over the coals representing don't, that don't rake Trevor over the coals about that I I kind of enjoy it but I'm a bit of a sadist so. I don't. I can't afford Coles yet. We gotta get that yeah. Patreon money in. Yeah, that Patreon money's gonna buy Trevor his Coles. It'll so buy us the Coles that that Stephen Graham Jones can rake us over. <laughs> That's what we're using. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.